Hello and welcome to episode eight of Lawyering Up. I am Jared Ferentino. With me today are both hosts, Greg Fellerman and Ed Saramboli. We are honored to have Greg Fellerman with us today. Greg, welcome back. <laughs> this is how you. This is how you clap on Zoom. This is it. This is how you clap now. We remain under President Trump and Governor Wolf's and our county manager Pedri's orders to stay home. And in that, we are live via satellite again. And we have a very special guest today, uh, Reverend Sean Walker. Sean Walker is a person who wears so many hats. I don't know where to begin other than I have had the pleasure of knowing Sean for 20 plus years. I've known him in every manifestation of his life, from student to salesman to husband, father, pastor. At every step, Sean serves people. He is a community leader. He is a professional businessman who has done very, very well in all aspects of life. But most importantly, Sean, I knew you way back when when you sold coffee machines. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> With yes. our buddy, Pat Cosgrove. You know... <laughs> Let me tell you, the Harvard School of Business has nothing on Susquehanna Geographic, right? No, no. I learned everything I needed to know to be successful. I attribute all my success to Pat Cosgrove Sr. and our wonderful uh, Monday morning Come to Jesus meetings. They are unforgettable. Yes, absolutely. But one of the toughest hats you wear, and uh, we were just talking before we got on, is a school board member. And your tenure on the Wilkes-Barre School Board tracks my role as a solicitor for a local school district. You said 2013 till today. Uh, Fortunately for you, it's been a quiet time in (laughs) Wilkes-Barre. Yeah, not so much. You know, it's funny because when I first got appointed, I was considering a run and I thought, nah, I'm not going to run. I really don't have that kind of time in my life. You know, I was a busy guy, uh, you know, working on a professionally sales career, uh, alongside my professional career. I was always ministering at a church. And at that point in time, we were at a downtown church in Wilkes-Barre. So we were doing a lot of work. It was busy. And then I have a family, a wife, and three kids. At that time, they were so the, the younger two were pretty young. And my oldest was a teenager. And I also coached a freshman basketball team. So I just really didn't think I was going to have any time to do it. And then Mr. Corcoran resigned and there was this gap that needed to be filled. And I thought, you know, maybe this is a way that I could serve in this capacity, but then get out in seven or eight months. I just fill this term. I could serve, uh, you know, try to accomplish some of the goals that I wanted to accomplish and then, but not be committed to it long term. And uh, Sean, you know, it's seven years now, right? I just want to let you know, it didn't work out, buddy. Yeah. Uh, seven months turned into seven yeah, years real quick. And here's there's no getting out. Well, the thing is, dude, there's, you guys are, are the same way. There's work that needs to be done. And so you can either kind of point fingers and ask questions as to why someone else isn't doing that work. Or you can try to jump in and help the work get done. Not do it yourself. It's not happening because of you, but it's happening perhaps because of you. Meaning it's not because of you, the one person getting it done, but maybe just maybe on a board of nine people, you have enough influence to start to move a subject or an item or an argument forward and then make a correction that needs to be corrected. And for me, that was basically our hiring policy. My initial goal was to make sure, it was very simple. My first goal was to make sure that we did two things. One, we had a hiring policy that allowed us to hire the best people because I thought that it was imperative 
that we didn't have friends and family necessarily in front of our children, but that we had the most qualified professionals. And if those most qualified professionals happen to be friends and family, that's cool. It's a small town. It's a small area. You have a small pool of people that you can hire from. So I didn't really care if it was someone's friend or cousin. It didn't matter to me. I, 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 but I wanted to make sure, though, that we had a hiring policy in effect that absolutely, from a professional standpoint, wouldn't allow us to hire brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, you know, direct or immediate relatives, uh, so that we could more so guarantee that we uh, had the best qualified person. And so we had to develop a hiring policy to do that. That was number one. And number two, wanted to build a real human resources department that made sure we could execute against that policy. And that was it. It was all that I wanted to. Uh, it was all that I. <laughs> that was all that I wanted to do at first. Um, Sean, that was the yeah. policy beforehand. What's that? The hiring policy beforehand. Could you share a little bit of that? Uh, no comment. <laughs> well, but I think, Sean, that's a culture issue, too, whether or not. Well, let's say there wasn't a written hiring policy. Right, I'm going to have to call my lawyer, Greg. Hold on, <laughs> Greg, hold on while well, I call. You made a good change. That's the point. That's the Eddie, point. Eddie, Eddie, and it was a, Eddie and Jared are my de facto lawyers. Every time I have a legal question, it's like, hey, could you guys call me real quick? <laughs> well, I think, Sean, much of your background and much of your passion is dedicated to your congregation. You serve as a reverend. You were at First Baptist in the city of Wilkes-Barre through a very transitional time in the city of Wilkes-Barre, and now you're at Shiloh Baptist. I think you brought a lot of that to uh, the culture of the Wilkes-Barre School Board, but talk to us a little bit about your work as a pastor uh, in Wilkes-Barre and in Scranton. Honestly, some of the best times and some of the worst times of my life. It's such a service is hard. Service is really, 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 really hard. And it's especially hard when financial resources are limited, right? So you serve people in your profession, but your profession allows you to bill, right? You're in business to make money while serving people. And that's what good businesses do. Good businesses serve people first, but then make money for that service second, right? Well, in church, it's, it's not that way. We are providing a service, but we're not selling that service. We rely strictly on the goodness of people's hearts and their ability to go into their pocket and give us a dime of every dollar. And to be truthful, in the last 12, 13 years, that's been very difficult for people to do. So forget a dime out of a dollar. How about a penny out of a dollar? That's hard. And the churches that I've been fortunate enough to serve were uh, full of folks that didn't really have much. They were in the position of turning their lives around. So they, they didn't have anything to begin with. So they couldn't give anything, and that was fine. So our struggle began to be, how do we continue to provide this service with next to nothing? And so I credit our trustees, I credit the board, I credit... Uh, volunteers for doing a lot of good work for no money and on uh, very little money. And, you know, quite honestly, Sarah and Fel Fellerman participated in such a gigantic way. Eddie and I used to meet pretty regularly, I'd say, for mm -hmm. breakfast, you know, pretty regularly, every couple of months or so. You out, though. 
But yeah, <laughs> every couple of months or so, uh, I'd, I'd allow Eddie to buy me breakfast. There you go. And, uh, and he casually asked, you know, so what's going on? What are you doing? And I just basically said, oh, we've got this going on here, and we've got this going on over there. And I said, in that church, we were feeding the homeless, and we're trying to expand that and go from feeding them on a Monday night to Mondays and Fridays. Because we used to make brown bag lunches. And like peanut butter and jelly, hand sandwiches, some chips and a soda. We'd get like a hundred of those lunches in the summertime. We'd walk them over around the square. We'd just partner up in twos or threes, start walking around and giving these meals out to whomever uh, would need them. And sadly, I noticed that it was not just like random people on the square, that they were sometimes families, like legit mom, dads, three kids. And I remember thinking, this might be the only thing they eat today, like this this horrible ham and cheese sandwich that I just made is the only thing that I have to eat. So one of my church members, we would stop that every September. You know, we would summer's over, got to get back to the grind. And one of my church members say, hey, hey, pastor, these people are hungry in the winter, too. We should feed them. So God blessed us with some people that were in the restaurant business and they kind of set us up with the right equipment in the kitchen. But you had to fund that. You had to fund the food. And so I tell Eddie, so we're looking to expand, whatever, whatever. That's it. That's all I said. He just kind of nodded his head. And we kept talking about whatever else we kept talking about. I start going to church where my office was over the next couple of days. And I would get the mail. And in about 48 hours, I had checks for nearly $13,000 from law firms and lawyers in the city and county. And I'm, I remember I called Eddie after the first couple came in the next day or two. I said, dude, what, what happened? He said, I just I called a couple of friends and told them what they were going to do. <laughs> and, uh, and they did it. And that funded that program for, I believe, over a year. So partnerships like that were imperative to us because, again, we're not making any money. We're not bringing in any revenue. Uh, we're relying solely on giving in order to serve as the church. It costs money, too. And sometimes people don't realize that, you know, that it costs money to do good things in the community. And so we're very grateful. When Eddie came back from those meetings, he would come and we talk about it. And the one thing I thought that was really interesting was the fact that he said, and you basically told us, there were working poor people there to eat, which is like, I don't think people understand that concept. Can you explain that to people? Like, like I was yeah, so there, there are people, man, that are legit. They're homeless. And some of them are going to be homeless in perpetuity. As, and I got to know them. And they, I don't want to say they liked it, but they did. They were very, very comfortable in that world. You know, I would offer to get them into shelters. I would offer to put them up in hotel rooms. I would offer to get them a haircut. I would offer to take them to Walmart and get them clothes and get job applications to them and take them to interviews. I would offer to them to do that. Some of them did. Some of them did. I would, I would do that. We'd go get a haircut. We'd get all looking pretty. We'd get a, a, an interview outfit, some slacks and a button down and some shoes. We would do that. And then our others were like, no, nah, no way, I'm good. Then they just got used to the lifestyle. They, they did like it. But to your point, Greg, there is a group of people out there who were absolutely working, had jobs, and trying to raise a family on 8 or $9 an hour. Well, that doesn't work. That just doesn't work. And so the other thing that we did besides the food was we had a clothing drive. One of the other ministers there had a passion for putting clothes on people that needed them. And dude, when school started, I'll never forget pulling up to the parking lot 
right before school was about to start. And I couldn't find a spot in my parking lot. And I remember thinking, what the freak is going on? Like, what is, what is going on? So I go around the side, I walk around, I come to the door, I'm looking, I'm like, dude, what is going on? I go downstairs. There's all kinds of moms and dads downstairs picking through the clothes because this is where they were going to get school clothes for the year. And, and oftentimes, the majority of society doesn't realize that people can't afford a $9 pair of pants at Walmart. They, they can't. These are bad people. These are people that are lazy on the system. These are people, dude, that are grinding, that are working and can't afford it. And here's the thing, like, oh, I had a, a reporter who will go nameless uh, ask me, why are these parents such bad parents? I'm like, whoa, hold on. No one said anything about anybody being a bad parent. Why? Because they're not home. Here's the deal. There's a difference in being not being home. There's going out to the club and not being home, bad parent. Working three jobs right. to put food on the table, good parent. They're not home, but a good parent. And there's a lot of people out there who are just trying to make ends meet. And it's harder than it looks. You know, to those Sean, what, do you think, what do you think now? We all feel like, and the COVID-19 crisis has changed We've never seen anything like this in our lives. Greg is a little older than all of us. Maybe he saw it in his lifetime. But, uh, he was but, alive uh, in the 1918 pandemic. But, yeah, Great Depression. Greg, Greg lived through the Spanish flu. <laughs> where where do you see your role in the church going forward? How has it changed to date since the crisis started? Clearly, you were challenged already with uh, raising funds, but has this brought people back to the church? Has it drove people, driven people away? Yeah. So first of all, I hate religion. I've said that for years and people don't understand. How do you hate religion? I do. I hate religion. I hate the institutionalized things that religion brings. I hate the division that it brings within religion and forget about the rest of society. I hate it. I can't stand it. The church with a capital C is nothing more than a body, an organism made up of a bunch of people who believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's it. And that's the church that I've been a part of. And then you have these local churches, small seas like Shiloh and so many others, who try to project that message of hope and the, the gospel, the good news of Christ and salvation into the public in whatever form or fashion they can do it, so that others, too, might have a chance at this salvation that we believe in. And with salvation comes a, a, a whole lot of things, including service based on love. And that's really what the church is all about, right? So this actually has helped churches get back to that because everything is stripped away. There's no more pomp and circumstance. There's no more, you know, robes and collar, right? It's just, whoa, back to basics, back to the message itself. I got a camera, a microphone, and a Bible. That's it. And that's all I need. And it was really, 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 I guess, apparent over the Holy Week when especially you know, I love Holy Week. I love this. My, it's, it, I love it more than Christmas because of the week and how it went from Sunday to the following Sunday, from Palm Sunday to the resurrection. I love everything that happened in between that week. And as I was struggling to figure out how to give that message out to my congregation, 
I realized that there's no better opportunity than right now to just get back to basics and understand this subject for what it is, the message of hope and love and newness of life. And so I took that opportunity and so did so many other pastors and preachers here locally and throughout the country and world. And we used things like technology. And it was so cool because it was just a microphone and a screen and a message of hope and love and an opportunity for newness of life. And so, yeah, it has changed things. It's simplified it and it's made it better in my personal opinion. Don't you think, Sean, that, that that's happened? both in the church and everywhere. I think everywhere. one of the things I personally realized is all of this stuff is fleeting. It could all be taken away, you know, and it makes you reevaluate your career. It makes you evaluate how you spend your time. Yep. Uh, you know, I think this has been a huge wake up call for everyone. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I have people online watching that don't go to church. They'll never step foot in a church on a Sunday morning, but they're watching every Sunday. Now that's a win for me. And here's the thing. When I say it's a win for me, it's a win for what I desire, which is to get the gospel message out, to have people come to Christ and believe. It's not a win for me in that they're watching me. I don't care. It's not a win for me in that they're ever going to sit in my church and, and maybe they don't even donate a dollar. I don't care. That's not why we do this. And I was reminded of that. You know, that's not why we do this. We don't do this for a dollar. We don't do this so we can get views and likes. We do it so that we can help people change and transform their lives on the inside, Jared, to your point, because that's what really matters. We as Americans, especially, live our lives so much on the outside, so much on the external, so much on the car we drive, the house we live in, and the vacations we get to take. And here's the thing. I love all those things too. And I want them too. But they need to be prioritized and put in their proper perspective. And that's what's happened to me. You know, I, I found out, man, that I worshiped a lot of other gods, a lot of other small G gods. And when those small G gods were ripped out from underneath me, it was a wake-up call, like, whoa, you put a lot of effort and attention into this and a lot of effort and attention into that. And look, it, it's gone. Where are those things for you now? But who's left there for you? You're the one that made you, you know, the one that's been trying to take care of you. And so that has been a huge wake-up call for me. And so although life has become much more simple in a lot of different ways, it has allowed me to stand on that simplicity uh, and find a firm foundation again. And I think we all can find that firm foundation. And the cool thing about finding a firm foundation is you have the opportunity to once again build up and out. So not only are you going to rebuild, you're going to rebuild and be better than you were before. You know, I told Eddie a couple of weeks ago, we were talking, I said, you could choose at this time to panic and do nothing. You could do, choose to do at this time, pretend and do nothing, or you can prepare and do something. And that is what good leaders of any sort, church, business, a leader in your home, that's what you're going to choose to do. Find that foundation and then prepare for the future so that when we can rebuild again, we will. And you'll be better than you were before. So everything happens for a reason. And while I can't stand that we're doing this for so many superficial reasons, I'm thankful for what the, the lessons are that at least I've learned. And I think, uh, to your point, everybody is learning at this point. Sean, you know, talking about some of those foundations, you know, I want to ask you about, about you know, the Wilkes-Barre School Board and the Wilkes-Barre yeah. School District. And 
I know when you and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, and you were talking about some of the challenges right now that a school district like, like Wolfberry was facing trying to transition to online learning. And I want to ask you about that, but you know, we were we had Paul Adams on, the president of Wilkes, on our last podcast. And one of the things oh, I, get, I gotta follow the president of Wilkes. Why yeah. Yeah, how about it? <laughs> and, and I will tell you, he's got way better hair than you. Yeah, I am throwing, I am totally throwing out. I got gray, it's bad. I haven't shaved in three weeks. I don't care. That's the other thing I learned. That I, I haven't really shaved. Care. I haven't shaved in three hours. I was going to say, you know, three hours. Um, well played. Well, one played. of the things that Paul said was really challenging to Wilkes is that Wilkes has a lot of first generation students, and uh, yeah, yeah. a lot of the student, a lot of these the, those students, they're minority students. They come from cultures and backgrounds. They're the first people to go to college. Some of them are even the first people to have a computer. Yeah. What have you seen on the school board? At, you know, for kids, you know from lower economic means, especially in Wilkes-Barre City. How, how are you guys handling that? And you know, what are you doing to try to make sure that everybody's getting this online learning platform? As best yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know, and maybe you don't, maybe the audience doesn't, so I'll share it. You know, we're over 80% poverty by statistically. We have kids in our district, uh, over 80% of them are in poverty. So we serve a very low income community. Uh, some schools, isolated over 90%. Okay. So that's something that we, and it's not new. We contend with that and we deal with that daily, weekly, monthly, every single school year. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I love to serve on the Wilkes-Barre area school board specifically because of the kind of impact that you can really provide to a child and their family and their future by giving them the education and therefore the intellect to follow their or to, to, to tie into their passions and then change the trajectory of perhaps an entire family's life. But that's a story for another day. To answer your question, we as a district are what we call one-to-one with Google Chromebooks. So that means that every kid from third grade uh, through 12th grade has access to a Chromebook. So we have thousands of them in our district. So we put out a survey early on to find out what kids had access to technology, what kids had access to Wi-Fi, so on and so forth. And we decided that, okay, with the kids that do not have access to technology, we're just going to provide it for them. And so we did. So we made uh, Chromebooks available. Uh, Kids can take the or have taken them home in order to do their online classes and some of the local cable companies have provided, I believe, free Wi-Fi to families as well so that their kids could get online and continue their education during this time. So those were the first couple of steps that we took. And then we were trying to figure out how we're going to deploy it and how we were allowed to deploy it. Because quite honestly, there was a desire to do it and folks were clamoring, parents were clamoring and they're watching all, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with their children and what does this mean for school and, and their education. But we were kind of waiting for direction from the state. You know, we wanted to make sure that we did this appropriately because, quite honestly, there were legal issues tied into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we had to provide the right kind of education because with students who uh, are in learning support and have uh, what we call IEPs or individual education plans, they are legal documents. And if you don't teach to that document, you get sued. 
And so, you know, we had to figure out how we were going to deliver an online platform to our students and then kind of protect ourselves legally. And so we were waiting on guidance from the state. So after about a week or two, uh, a week or so, we got our guidance and we started to deploy an education platform, I think, two weeks after. So pretty proud of the work that our leadership did. You know, the board is there to kind of uh, guide, but our administrators do the bulk of the work and they deserve a ton of credit. Your partner, Ray, Brian Costello, Tom Tellis, and so many others, Bobby Makarovich, you know, have been working harder during this time than if we were in school the regular way. We're going through a normal course of business. So, yeah, so we feel pretty good that we've been able to provide these tools and resources to the children. And then basically, I, I have to talk about our teachers because strategy is one thing, execution is another. And they're the ones that have to execute. And they are executing. Dude, you know, you hear people bash teachers all the time. <laughs> stop. Just, I what, just, no, no just right stop. now, right now, I don't think that there's a single person around that wants to volunteer to be, you know, to be, a, be a homeschool teacher. I, Dude, oh. you know how, I mean, listen, people are struggling, you know, trying to get their kids through an hour or two worth of this curriculum. Imagine doing that all day, every day, times 30. And, you know, these teachers, I believe that we have great, listen, there's levels to every profession, right? You have the great, you have the good, you have the ones you'd like to see get better. And that, that's true everywhere. But man, the vast majority of our teachers are phenomenal and have been working hard and working even harder. So, yeah, I'm fully confident, man, in what we're doing and trying to do for these kids. And the kids are showing up. And it's funny, like, they're doing work. We get that as to, like, how long they're on and when they're on. These kids, man, true to Fortnite form. True to Fortnite form, true to Call of Duty form. Do you know when they're doing their work? Middle of the night. Between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. crazy. But they're engaged. You know, some more than others, but they're they're engaged. My daughter takes it so seriously. It's it's you know, because she is an, an academian and and loves school and you know cares about where she ranks and all that stuff. And then my my son you know, manages school. You know, he's, he's like, I'm going to manage this to my lifestyle. <laughs> I'm just going to make sure I do what I've got to do. I'm going to be like a three, four student. I know I could be a three, eight student, but man, that gets in the way of my basketball. That gets in the way of my girlfriend. So I'm just going to manage all this. So they look at it through two different lenses, but both of them are engaged in the ways that they're engaged. And uh, so are many thousands of other kids right now. So it's cool. That's great. Oh, I have a question for you. My yeah. daughter's a senior at Myers, and oh, yeah. hearing on on the graduation and the proms and all this stuff. I mean, t- I mean, plus they're they're coping with it. It just seems like you know they're kind of on the short end of the stick on this one. What do you? What do yeah, you they are. From the- yeah, they totally are. So we have intentionally not submitted to the public what our thoughts are around the contingency plan because we don't want to necessarily throw that out there so that everyone starts making plans toward the contingency plan. Because to be honest with you, Greg, we are still really hopeful that we're going to be able to provide some sort of a traditional graduation. So as the social distancing starts to lift, according to the governor's reopening plan, if that happens the way it's set out to happen, perhaps by mid to the end of June, we could have some sort of 
traditional graduation. That might look like an outdoor graduation on the turf with the kids spread out. We might only allow, maybe it's just the parents, maybe it's, you know, two guests or four guests also spread out perhaps in the bleachers, but we do want to try to give them every opportunity to actually walk across the stage, shake a hand or give an elbow bump and receive a diploma and get that traditional picture like we've done for 88 years at that school. So that is our hope. Our hope is that the social distancing will lift such that we will be able to provide some sort of traditional graduation. And if we don't do that, we do have a pretty cool contingency plan that will be virtual. So suffice it to say, they will have a graduation that will be completely planned out and well done with excellence. It'll just depend on what we're allowed to do at that time. But we will, yeah. we're also going to start doing senior days and events. And we're going to start doing a bunch of stuff via Zoom and virtual things to honor them, uh, to give them something because they deserve it. And my cool. kid's a junior. My kid's a junior. When well, you know... You know, Eddie and I have been doing our, our prom pledge yeah. for nine yeah. or ten years now. And, I mean, it, it nothing. You know, we had to cancel every event. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of emptiness on our part because we really enjoy going and connecting with the kids and talking to them. And, we do, you know, we think we've made a difference in their lives over time. We've heard we did. So, it's, we're, we even have a little bit of emptiness, you know, because we have this whole program and ramp up every year. And feel bad for the kids. No, it's horrible. I mean, and I give them a ton of credit because, you know, in the beginning, there's a lot of tears shed. My son dates a senior and uh, they've dated for a long time. So we're very close. She's here a lot. And, uh, you know, we've gotten to know each other very well the last couple of years. And there's been times she's been on my couch in full blown tears, you know, full blown tears, crying her eyes out. And uh, as a problem solver and a person who cares for human beings, I want to fix this. I just want to make her feel better. And I can't, I don't, I can't, I can't ever give back to her what she's lost. I can never give back to your daughter what she's lost. I can't. The only thing I can do is give her what we can give her. And I know that the district is going to do that. Whatever it is, they're not going to be lost or forgotten. So we're not going to be like, ah, here's over. Sorry, seniors, let's move on. Nope. We are going to start implementing. You'll see very soon some senior days, some things we're going to do special for them virtually. Uh, hopefully they participate and get something out of it, but we're not going to forget them. And in terms the of graduation, the this year is going to be a collector's item. What's that? You know, the, the colophon, the yearbook that they do. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's going to be so different. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's Sean, gonna, you're of, right. I didn't even think about that. One of the things that I wanted to make sure, and I know that not a lot of people know this, you guys really in the Wilkes-Barre School District do – an unbelievable job of when we talked about feeding people, like you make sure kids. Oh, get yeah. fed. And I mean, the, and it, and it gets, it sometimes gets lost in the noise of politics and everything else. But I know for a fact, the hard work that you and the board does to make sure that kids are sometimes this, that might be the only meal they, you know, they get, you know, they get a day. Absolutely. What, so right now during this period, how are you guys addressing that issue and you know, moving forward to make sure that those kids are still being serviced and taken care of? So uh, we get the news, I think it was Friday, whatever, I can't remember the day. I think it was a Friday, we get the news, hey, we're going to have to shut down. Well, immediately, the first thing, the first thing almost everyone said is, how are we going to feed these kids? How are they going to eat? 
like seriously, probably the first question that came out of all the board members' mouths, back and forth, back and forth. And to be honest with you, Brian and the leadership were so busy in and out of conference calls with with Harrisburg, it was hard to get in touch with them that day. And I'd be honest, I got pissed. I was mad because I I wanted answers. I wanted them now. And I also wanted to be involved in developing the solution. So I got pissed, as it turns out, for no good reason, because as this was all unfolding, our leadership and administration had already been trying to work out a plan with our nutrition group, who we contract with to provide our lunches. And so that was already being done. And so within 48 hours, the answer was presented to us. And that began on, I think, Monday or Tuesday of the following week. And they've been doing it ever since. And so Nutrition Group is out there every single yep, Great word. job. No, yeah. really. I mean, that, that's just... Uh, no, it's phenomenal. But unbelievable. I, have, I have to add something because we're just talking about church and service, right? We're talking about church and service. So Nutrition Group can only provide breakfast and lunch. Okay. Mount Zion Baptist Church had taken over the CEO program where they provide food programs throughout the communities. Okay. And they started this maybe a year, year and a half ago or so. So Pastor Brewster from Mount Zion immediately calls, how can we help? How can we help? So in 48 hours, this church, again, no one's paid. No one's making any money. Within 48 hours, he had a slate of volunteers packing hundreds of meals to be prepared to deliver alongside nutrition group starting that Monday or Tuesday. And they've been doing it ever since. So a kid kid shows up at a school on a day and they walk away with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Wow. And that is due to the sacrifices that, listen, we, we made the decision, but no credit for the decision. These nutrition ink workers are out there and listen, putting their lives at risk. Yeah. Putting their lives at risk. And that's one Sean, one of the things you said too, like, and I think I could speak for all of us. First of all, in our profession, we have to be problem solvers, but you said you're, you're used to being a problem solver. So many people come to you with their very serious problems and it's something we're accustomed to too. And, one of the most humbling parts of the entire COVID crisis has been, it has been humbling because so much of this you have to accept. You know, we're the kind of people that if something goes wrong at the municipal level, we'll pick up the phone and yell at the mayor. We'll pick up the phone oh, and call right, the right. uh, unless it's Eddie and Greg, I don't yell at those guys. But, but hasn't it been a humbling experience to kind of just accept your fate a little bit uh, when yeah. it comes to the COVID-19 spreading and, and all the, the uh, precautions you have to take. And how have you seen people deal with that part of it? How has it impacted you as far as not being able to solve that problem? Yeah. So, you know, I've had to, you know, uh, <laughs> there's a saying or scripture, physician, heal thyself. <laughs> right. And there's been a lot of that for me because I, I've uh, fielded a lot of phone calls and have had a lot of conversations with people who didn't know they were a control freak until they lost control, right? They didn't know they were a control freak until they lost control. And so they're struggling. How do I, how do I deal with, how do I, I can't make this go away. I can't, I can't make the disease go away. I don't know how to solve this problem. So the lesson just becomes to control what you can't control. Do 
what you can do, and then find joy in doing those things. And so as I'm preaching that, teaching that, trying to educate others to do that, I don't really learn to do that myself because I wouldn't call myself a control freak, but I do solve problems. Like you, someone calls, I pick up the phone. Yo, uh, help me understand, and can we fix this, right? And there's no, who do you call? Who do you call for this? You don't call, there's no one to call. So uh, my prayers have been uh, for grace and mercy, but uh, the reality of it is I just try to teach people to control what they can control and err on the side of caution. So I'd rather be, you know, wrong with my mask on than wrong with my mask off. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, uh, so that's how I'm dealing with that. Just taking, taking, Jared, just like what we talked about before, being humbled and simplified. That's it. Being humbled and simplified uh, is the best way I can say to cope with it and find the joy in the things we should find joy in, like the small things, like the smile on your kid's face or laughing with your children on a couch watching Netflix, which you wouldn't have done before because you just wouldn't have done it or taking the dogs for a walk or whatever it is that you find to do, like find joy in those things again and or first. I think it's going to be tough getting, and, and those are the things I know Greg and Eddie are in the same boat. We talk pretty regularly. Those are the things we are reconnecting with, you know, like you, Sean, Eddie and Greg and I wear a lot of different hats, working 12 to 14 hour days. My wife works two jobs working. So it has been so nice to just kind of turn the volume down, stop living life at the tip of the spear. There's a little anxiety, I think, about returning back if we're ever going to get back to turning the spigot back on and going back to that craziness. I, I have committed to not going back to the craziness. <laughs> I don't know how long that's going to work, but I've enjoyed a lot of this time. I'm a, you know, one thing about Sean Walker, he makes compassion cool. He makes, uh, you know, for a tough guy to, to talk about things like love and taking care of people, we don't see enough of that. And, and I think Governor Cuomo said, like, you know, a true man can talk about what it's like to love and care about people. And yeah. and I think that's refreshing. But, like, it's been nice to not be dealing with murder and mayhem and I'm sure you know, for you. business yeah. deals for, for yeah. years. I mean, it's just that, that stuff doesn't stop, you know, and it echoes as you go on to the next one. It has been a recharging. But I think we're going to see a lot of anxiety going back into if we get back to, there's such a rush to get back, but I think we're going to miss this time too. Oh, this is good time. This is special time. You know, what you've been pushing all these years and, and you, you made a great point about, you know, does it put your life in check? Like do you, it's a good time to take role, like where are you at? What really makes you happy? What's important? You know, I think this is a good time to reflect. And, and then you've also learned that you can do things differently. You know, you don't have to be so, you know, it's great to be driven. We're all we're all driven people. You want to be, you know, be where we're at. But it's like, you know, when you look at life and you think like, well, wait a minute. From my perspective, as you indicated earlier, I am older. I'm in my fourth quarter of life. So, you know, you think about like, what what can you do differently to improve your quality of life? I think you're in overtime. <laughs> I told not. We've had those issues. No, but I mean. I think a lot of people are going to be doing that. Like, hey, what's yeah. really important? You know, you talk about sitting on the couch with your kids and spending time with your kids in the middle of the day, by the way, in the middle of a right. birthday. So, you know, there's, well, not, and there's nothing wrong with that, you learned. No, well, first of all, not to get all scriptural on you, but I will for a second. The scribes and the Pharisees, the lawyers and the smart people 
come to Jesus and they say, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all, with everything you got, I'll paraphrase. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with everything you got. Okay, cool, I got that. Second piece, love your neighbor, but how? As yourself. When you start to love others the way you love yourself, life gets better for everybody. And that's what we can really learn in this time is that when we just focus on the simplicity of love, everything else wins because of that. But because I love you the way I love me, I treat you better. You treat me better. We treat each other better. It creates for a better relationship. And then we can do great things together, whether it's mm -hmm. business or personal or otherwise. So that is the foundation to everything. Because then he says, and the rest of the law, hangs on this one. Everything else falls into place when you put love first. And that's what we have a great opportunity to do in the middle of your big legal work day on your couch with your daughters or your sons or whomever, right? In the middle of running a multi-million dollar law firm, you get to do that. That's first. Everything else gets better after that. And that's a huge lesson, I would say, for people like you who don't just go punch a clock and, you know, put a shift in and go home. You know, you're running a multi-million dollar businesses and, by the way, impacting individual lives through that business for better or for worse, whether you win or lose. So there's a lot of pressure that goes into what you do. But I want you to remember this, and you probably already know it. What you do is what you do. The focus should never be on what we do, but that's who we are as Americans, right? Mostly the focus should be on who you be, because when you focus on who you be, who you be will drive what you do and more importantly, how you do it. And that's the difference. There's a lot of people that can run multi-million dollar law firms and make lots of money. Lots of people are doing that. But then there's the way that you do that. And I think from knowing you three, that's the difference. It's not the fact that you've done it, but it's the way that you've done it. And that is because of who you are. And this time allows us to focus on the who we are first and put the what we do second. And to me, that's a very, very cool thing for people who are in big time pressure filled situations, working the 12, 14, 16 hour days of business deals and murderers and lawsuits and legal pads with notes for days and all the pressure that goes along with that. So I'm very glad, you know, if, if that's one thing that's happening to you all, then that's, that's an awesome thing that's happening to you all. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I know myself and Greg and Jared, Greg and I have built our law firm from literally nothing. From nothing. Jared, Jared as well. And we, come, we all come from very humble beginnings and, and yep. I think we've never forgotten that. So to hear you say that, thank you. That's really, uh, you know, that, that's really kind. One of the things that you had mentioned before, and I wanted to circle back before we wrap up here is, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit about uh, athletics, you mentioned athletics. And, and I will tell you that, you know, Jared, you probably don't know this. So I've known Sean through basketball for many years. And the only person that I know that's a dirtier basketball player than Sean Walker is Greg Feller. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> They are at the number one and number two on the list of like, you know, 
So, Sean, like, how, what does that say about how you play is how you be? Yeah, so let's let me cut. And I'm going to tell you this. There ain't no scripture on the basketball court with Sean Walker. There's no <laughs> kindness. There's no compassion. There's no love. It is, um, it is all out war. Um, okay, but I, I know that that's, you know, I, I know that that's a passion. I tell my congregation all the time, don't ever come watch me watch a basketball game. You will fire me. Yeah. I will be fired. You'll yeah. never listen to another word that I say. Don't ever watch me watch a basketball game, especially if Bruce Weinstock is referee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, but that's, but basketball is a passion. You know, yeah, basketball is a passion of yours. You coach yeah. and, and it's really especially in the Wilkes-Barre School District, it, it, is a, it is a core foundation for a lot of these kids. And that's, yes. you know, they learn teamwork and, and it's so important. And I think that, you know, everybody's really done a great job focusing on online learning and making sure these kids are, are getting the services that they need. But what are we going to do about athletics? I mean, really, like, how are we going to approach it? School districts like Wilkes-Barre, like, because it is so foundational. I mean, honestly, like, you and I wouldn't know each other, but for being, but for know, basketball and you serving me shots up at the station. But we'll, that's true too. We'll just, we'll just go with basketball. It sounds much much better. Much better. <laughs> go with basketball. But um, but yeah. So it's funny. But right before I was talking to you guys, I was talking to another friend of mine and coach whose son plays with my son. And so I, I, I'm passionate, first of all, for a lot of reasons. One. First and foremost, right now, I'm passionate because it's, it's my son's game. And he's in, we're, we're, we're both basketball junkies. And, uh, you know, he lives for the game and has goals around the game. I mean, like, you know, if they don't have a season this year, man, like he has an opportunity to get a thousand points and, you know, that will be taken away. Just like, you know, uh, Greg, with your daughter, the things are going to be taken yeah. away. So, you know, I'm hoping and praying, man, that we get back into school and back to sports. But to answer your question, like, more specifically, I guess, I don't know what we're going to do. And it's one of those situations where we were talking about before, like, I, I want to be in the room because sometimes leaders can really not lead. They could just make a decision and take the easy way out and say, oh, you know what? Can't do it. No sports. One of my philosophies is can't or won't. Can't or won't. Uh, you know, we can't do it. Can't? You can't. Or you won't because there's a difference. And a lot of people don't want to put in the work. So they say they can't, but they can. They just don't want to put it in the work. And so for me, uh, gents, you've got to have some sort of sports, some sort of athletic or extracurricular. Let's just forget about sports. Extracurricular, where kids who have passions other than math and science and English can participate in athletically, whether that's art, whatever the case might be. Uh, we've got to figure that out. So if that means having practices just with the team, having practice and doing it differently where there's less contact, less frequent contact, and you bring them into a stadium, and again, only parents are allowed or only 100 people are allowed, whatever the case might be, figure that out. Put X's on the bleachers. You can sit here and here and here and you're wearing masks and we're not serving food and there's sanitation at the bathroom that you can wear. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like, but to me, it's got to look like something. There's got to be something. It can't just be a no and we're done. If you're going to have online school, 
that you can figure out a way to let kids participate in the extracurricular that feeds their passion athletically or chess. I don't care what it is. There's got to be an opportunity for them to do that too. Because to be quite honest, in Wilkes-Barre area, listen, some of them, a lot of kids go to school for two reasons, and none of them are education. They go to play the sport that they love, and they go to eat. So we've got to provide them with that opportunity as well, in my humble opinion. So what the PIAA does, I don't know. I would imagine and hope that they're talking about it right now, because to be honest with you, football season opens, practice opens in three and a half months from now. Yeah. Mid-August is when they are slated to start. So, you know, I'm hoping that they're putting a plan or a contingency plan in place right now to see what that may look like, depending on what the social distancing rules and laws are of that day. But there's got to be something, Eddie. There's got to be something for these kids. Do you guys know anyone at the PIAA? Yeah. <laughs> we do. We, Sean, you've been great to have with us. And, and one of the things I respect so much about Sean is uh, for a tough guy, he's not afraid to talk about compassion and love and all those things that when you're raised by an Italian mother, they, they get beat. Compassion and love get really <laughs> in India. <laughs> you know, they get in compassionately and lovingly beat into you. Yes. Literally. 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 The, the African American family is right there with you, brother. Yeah. Yes. But Sean, it's been great to have you. And, and you're you. one of those folks that can have a, a show every day just sharing your thoughts. So to have the pleasure of you, and, and particularly through this challenging time, you know that Greg and Eddie and I think the world of you. And uh, you. if we can promote you in any way and share your message in any way, then, then this is a small thing we can do together and it's been a nice opportunity to do that yeah well eddie just said he rode his bike this morning so we it's early the hope is we talk about losing athletics and some of the things that we've lost through this crisis i'm a martial arts guy and i've had to like i can't go to the karate school even though our sensei golly is a covid19 denier which that's another (laughs) show that's another show but, uh, so we had to get him nature, which has been fun. So I'm looking out the window, and I can't wait to get out and get my miles in today. But this is something I'm going to reflect on while I do that, Ron. And, and well, it's always a pleasure, Sean. Yeah, I thank you guys. I love you guys. You guys have been there for me for a long, long time. I am not a perfect human being. I've made tons of mistakes in my life, and I'm glad that I have made them because I've learned a lot about myself and life through them. And so to be able to share with you all has been uh, an awesome opportunity this morning. So I thank you guys as much as you thank me, and uh, I'll continue to do the kind of work that I do, and I pray that you guys continue to do the kind of work that you do, and uh, look forward to chatting with you all again. Awesome, man. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, guys, as well. We'll see you.